Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, family. It's such an honor to be with you this morning on our online service. I really hope that you enjoyed that update on our church building and that you are just like me, excited to see really the Lord completing this work that we started some years back. This morning, we're continuing with our message on Awesome God, or rather our series on Awesome God. Um, for the past two weeks, we've looked at some some aspects of just God's God's names and, and just looked at what they mean for us. We, we looked at Jehovah, uh, my Lord, first in the first week, and then in the second week, we looked at Jehovah Shalom, my, my peace. And this week, we're going to look at Jehovah Roy, yeah? or rather El Roy, the God who sees. And our main text is going to be Genesis 16, verse 1 to 15. So before that, I just want to pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your presence this morning. We want to thank you that you are with us, oh Father God. We want to thank you that your word is living and active, oh Father God. And as it goes out, you will just cause it to establish what you needed to establish in our hearts and in our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. So let's read from Genesis 16, verse 1 to 15. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she, she, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I've seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bielahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the, the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. It's quite a chunk, eh? It's quite a, a long passage, but we had to read the entire passage just so that we all have a clear context of what's happening in this situation. So here we see um, 
Abram, who God already promised that he was going to have a son, or rather that he was also going to be, not only was he going to have a son, but he was going to be the father of nations, that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars, that no one will be able to to count his offspring. And and the Lord specifically told Abram that he is going to get this through his own body. So God had already made a promise to Abram and Abram was just waiting for the fulfillment of that promise for his offspring to start coming. But maybe as most promises sometimes feel like to a lot of people, sometimes they take longer than what we expect. And we see how Sarah actually devises a plan to have a child because she was really concerned with the fact that she was aging, she was getting old, time was, was, uh, time was going, and she didn't have a child of her own. So she thought up a plan that would bring something into being, you know? And sometimes it is like that when, when God gives us a promise, sometimes when it takes too long, we think maybe we need to help God just a little bit. Maybe we need to put a bit more, um, rather action into this faith that we have. And we see this is what Sarah does. And she speaks to her husband and says, look, I'm, I, I, I don't have any child. Here is Hagar, my servant. Why don't you sleep with her? And then you can have a child. On, and, and that child will be our child. And, and it's a common practice during her time where women who were barren, who couldn't have children, would often give their servants um, to their husbands to, 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 con- to conceive by their husbands. And that child will be seen as the woman's child and not necessarily the servant's child. We saw it also with Leah and Rachel later. We see how, how they also go through similar situations and, and they also use their servants to conceive children for them. But we see that though this plan may have been great for Sarah, it was not a great plan at all because we see the fruit that came out of it. Um, the, the word of God says that as soon as Hagar conceived, she started treating her, uh, her mistress with contempt, which means she started disrespecting Sarah. She started having a, a sort of an attitude towards Sarah. And if you put yourself in Hagar's shoes, you could imagine the servant girl that's serving her mistress and her master just there to do whatever needed to be done. She had no rights. She, she does what she, she needs to do when she's told to do it. And, and then she's told to, to sleep with this man, to conceive a baby for her mistress. And she probably didn't like that. She, it's not what she signed up for. But to think about the fact that she was able to do what Sarah couldn't do, and that is conceive a child. And not just conceive any child, but conceive the child of a mistress's husband, that kind of did something in her heart. You know, when a, um, the greatest, um, almost the, the one thing that, that, that kind of defines womanhood uh, in society is the ability to bear children. So if you can bear children, then you're a woman. If you can't, society kind of sees you as less than a woman. There's something wrong with a woman that cannot give birth. And so here, Hagar, was able to do what Sarah couldn't do. And she started having this attitude towards Sarah. We can just imagine that she probably started seeing herself to be better than Sarah. Um, she's, she's in the situation where she, she's not, she, she started disrespecting her 
and probably not liking her much, maybe not wanting to do what she's being told to do. And, and, and this, the, 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 um, the attitude that she was displaying was not mild. It was, it was, it was very visible in that Sarah picked it up. And, and, and not only did she pick it up, but it upset her so much so that she needed to speak to her husband about it. So when she spoke to Abram about it, he said, do whatever you need to do in this situation. Cause she was upset. She was just like, no, you guys have wronged me, you know, even saying, Abram, you're part of this. You both, you and Hagar, you know, so she was blaming both of them. And Abram said, look, do whatever you need to do. Your servant is in your hands. Just do what needs to be done. And this is where Sarah decides or she starts mistreating Hagar. So in this plan that Sarah thought was going to be a good plan, didn't actually work out to be a good plan. It was not God's plan at all. Here we've got two people that God has given a promise and we see how they start acting in unbelief, fear that the promise will not come to being. And they devise a plan to make the promise happen. And this plan, in this plan, we see unfaithfulness. We see uh, mistreatment of the servant. We see probably jealousy. We see just rivalry, which was not what God had planned for them. So then Sarah sends off uh, Hagar. I mean, she doesn't send her off, but she, she starts mistreating her. And, and the treatment that Hagar was getting was so bad that it was rather so much better to be anywhere else except near Sarah and Abram. So she decided that she was going to leave the house. She ran away, basically, from Abram and Sarah. It was anywhere else except near Sarah because the treatment was just not that great. And as she was running away, as she fled, the word of God says that God actually encountered her by sending his angel. Now, this story is, is so interesting in that the whole, uh, this whole story about, is about Abram and Sarah and about the promise that God made to them. And here we have a servant girl that kind of got, became part of, um, the planning between Abram and Sarah that was not part of God's plan or God's covenant. And the story could have just have ended. It could have just have ended with, and Hagar fled. Yeah. Because after all, the baby that Hagar was, was carrying was not the baby of the promise. She wasn't part of the promise. She wasn't part of the covenant. The story could have ended there. But we see that it didn't end there. That God actually took the time to encounter Hagar as she was fled, uh, fleeing and speak to her. And we see the angel of the Lord speaking to Hagar and asking her. Um, and we see it there in, in verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. First, the angel tells her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And then after that, he gives her a promise. He gives her a promise and he says to her, you shall, you, you will have a child. Yeah. Behold, you're pregnant and shall bear a son. Your, your, you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. So here the angel gives, gives her promise and say, this is what's going to happen to you. Okay. You, you, don't run away. Go back. The, you are carrying something precious. You are going to have a son. And she, def- and, and the angel defines what this, the son is going to be like. So then after that, we, we, we see she listened to the angel. And, and as the angel is talking to her, she, at the end, she realized that God actually is a God that sees her because God sent an angel. And so the word of God says in verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said truly here, I've seen him who looks after me. El Roy, the God who sees. This is where we encounter this name of the Lord for the first time. It was Hagar, an Egyptian servant, who discovered or noticed that this God actually sees her and knows her. She was just an insignificant girl. In her own eyes, she was just a servant. Nobody knew her. As long as she does her work at, at, in the house, it's fine. And, and that, and, and even as she, when she ran away, she was just a woman running away, uh, feeling, uh, so much pain, pain, feeling used and abused and probably not good for much. But God encountered her. And you know, when God encounters someone, when God appears to, to a person, that speaks volumes. So for God to, uh, to come and visit Hagar, an Egyptian servant girl, that really meant a lot to her. That, that meant like, wow, God, you actually care about me. I mean something to you. You actually see me. And some of us may be like that. We may be like a Hagar where we thought we are insignificant, you know, and we are not sure whether God sees us. But here we see that God does take time to look even at the people that we thought were unseeable. So for the first time, she says, you are the God that sees me. Elroy, she calls God that. And there are three main things that we can learn from this passage of Hagar and um, Hagar encountering God. Um, as I said before, the whole story is about Abram and Sarah, but yet God takes the time to minister to this Egyptian servant, Hagar. And what we see from this passage about God, El Roy, is the first thing is that God sees us. We cannot run from God and we cannot hide from God. You know, a lot of people, we, we normally use that saying, you can run, but you can't hide. You know, when it comes to God, you cannot run and you cannot hide. You think you're running, but sooner or later, he's always going to catch up with you. There's no way we can hide from God. You see, Hagar thought she could run away from Sarah and, and Abram, and she did that, but she couldn't run away from God. God is everywhere, and he saw her as she was running away, and he encountered her. And, and, and there's just no way she could hide from him. So not a single person in this world is unseen by God. As much as we sometimes look at the world and we see there's so many people, God sees each and every single person on the face of the earth. There's not a single person that goes unnoticed and unseen by God. God is a God that sees and he sees what we people may not necessarily be, be able to see, but he sees each and every single person. He knows every person. He knows the amount of hair that they have on their head. Yeah? He sees and he knows everyone. I want to read Psalm 139 verse 7 to 12. It says, 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, you are there. God is there. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely, the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Darkness is as light to God. You know, when you play hide and seek, you can find all sorts of corners and hide away and people may not be able to find you. But with God, even the darkest corner is not dark enough. God sees every single person. He sees us. He knows us. And we cannot hide from him. We cannot run from him. He is the God that sees. And so we see that he did see Hagar. The second thing that we can learn from this passage is that God sees the marginalized, those on the fringes of society, the outcasts that many may not consider. Hagar was a servant, not just any servant, an Egyptian servant, not part of the covenant. Yeah? But God took time to encounter the servant. And you know, servants are people to just do their work and not be heard and not be seen. But God saw this, the servant girl, the child, uh, the servant girl. He saw her in her affliction. He saw her in her pain and he came to her. Psalm 146 verse nine says, the Lord watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. God sees the people that we may not necessarily be seeing, the people that are outcasts, that are rejects, that may not mean much to us. I mean, last week we were speaking about Gideon. And remember what Gideon said um, about himself. He said, I am of the weakest clan of my tribe, the most insignificant in my family. Everybody in my family is more important than me. Yeah, He saw himself so insignificant, but God took the time to appear to him and to say, to call him mighty warrior. When we think of David, he was a shepherd boy out in the field, taking care of the sheep, um, the youngest in the family, and not really, uh, people didn't really bother with him. Often he was forgotten, you know, but out there while he's tending the flock, God saw him, saw him and raised him up to be the king of, the king of Israel. God saw him. When we, we think about people like Ruth, in fact, the, the women that we see in the lineage of Jesus, most of them are women that would have been outcasts of society, otherwise not considered as worthy of being in such a lineage. When we, when we think of Ruth herself, who was, who was a, a, a product of a people that came about through incest, you know, being a Moabite. When, when, when we look at Tamar, that's also part of Jesus' lineage, a woman that was raped. When we look at Mary, a peasant girl, poor girl, you know, someone who's not even worthy to, to birth a Messiah. But we see that the, all these people, even Rahab, who was a prostitute, is in the lineage of Jesus. Yeah. People that we may look in at in society and look down on or not, not even consider, God considers and he sees. And today, when we think of the people that may be marginalized in our midst or people that may otherwise be overlooked, 
We think of the widows. We think of the orphans. We think of the prisoners. We think of the refugees. We think of the foreigners. Yeah, we think of that person that is living as an extended family with their aunt and their aunt, uncle that don't really want them, but they they feel like they need to fulfill a duty, but they they don't want much to do with this person. We think about those people that we look at and think, what good can come out of them? Yeah, But God sees each and every single one of them. And sometimes you may look at yourself, you may be one of these people in these categories saying, I'm just an orphan. I don't have parents. I was, I was just raised my, by my uncle. What future do I have? I, I'm just, I'm just the, this house cleaner. I'm just this foreigner in Namibia. I'm just this, whatever it is, that, that, that you may be looking and identifying with today. Uh, if, you, if you feel like you are that person on the fringes, God sees. He really does. He doesn't overlook what we may overlook in society. The, the disabled people, God sees. And not only does he want, not only does he see, but he wants us, the called of God, to see the way he sees, to see what he sees. So we continuously need to do to make to have that prayer in our hearts where we say, God, open my eyes to see the way you see. Amen. Yeah. So God does see the marginalized. In fact, uh, one of my favorite um, uh, stories is, is also one of the, the the stories of Leah, also a woman who found herself in a situation that she didn't ask for, being married to a man who really didn't want to marry her. That even after getting her, he, he decided to work seven more years to get the woman that he actually wanted. And because of custom, she, she, she was married to Jacob, but he didn't love her. Yeah. But, and, and you can just imagine being with a man that doesn't love you, but loves the, um, the other, your sister more than he loves you. And you not being the pretty girl, you not being the chosen one. But yet it was through Leah. It was through Leah's son, Judah, that Jesus came down the line. Yeah, Judah was the one that God chose to bring Jesus through, uh, the Lion of Judah. You know, when we say Jesus, the Lion of Judah. So it, it was through Leah, not Rachel, not Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob. So God sees the, the marginalized. He sees these situations that we may find ourselves in, which we didn't ask for. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about things that we did in our own and just um, made foolish decisions, but things that happened that may have come across as unjust, that may have come across as not right, where we find ourselves in a situation where we're thinking, God, what do I do with this now? It's so ugly. I don't want anything to do with this. But God is a God that sees those things and he wants to redeem those things. Yeah, God wants to redeem. And then the next thing we see in this passage is that God sees us in our afflictions and brings redemption. You see, Hagar was really hurting. It, she was in, in pain when she left. She fled because she was hurting. She felt used and abused, and she, had, she felt like she had nowhere to go, but she had to go. Yeah. And in that affliction, the Lord saw her and heard her. And that's why he even said, you're going to give birth to a son, and his name will be Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Yeah. So God sees us in that place of affliction. Sometimes we go through pain, painful situations where we feel like we're so alone. 
We feel like nobody understands the depth of what I'm going through right now. You feel like the whole world is closed out and you are alone in the situation. But God sees even things that may have happened years ago in your life that kind of want to define you right now, corners in your life that you just want to close down. You don't want anything to do with. You're just thinking, can this chapter just end? The Lord has seen what happened in that situation. And if you would allow him in, he would come and heal that area. So what are the places that you may find yourself in today? Places of affliction where you're saying, God, do you even see me in this area? It could be an area of financial difficulty. It could be an area of relational dysfunction, work problems, you know, um, issues of rejection from family or relatives, identity issues, health issues, sexual abuse, physical abuse by a spouse, by a loved one, by someone you trusted. These things do happen. And you're asking, but God, do you see? God, did you see? And God is saying today, I am the Lord that sees. El Roy is my name. I have seen and I see and I will continue to see. God sees. Genesis 16 verse 11. Um, or rather, let me say, I'll read Psalm 10 verse 17 to 18. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. God sees us in the moments where we feel oppressed and hurt and where we're crying every single tear. The Lord sees us in those moments and he doesn't just see. He doesn't overlook. God does not overlook an unjust situation. He doesn't overlook our pain. He is a God of compassion. He sees and he has compassion on us as he had compassion on Hagar. Hagar is such a beautiful story in the midst of Abraham and Sarah's promise to remind us that we may do things to people that we may think are not important, but to God, every single person is important. Things may have happened to you because you were seen to be insignificant and not important, but to God, you are important. He loves you, He cares for you, and He has compassion on us. Amen. So God does see our current situation. He sees our past and He sees our future. The only thing we need to ask ourselves is, will we allow the God that sees to come into those areas, to come into the situation, to redeem the situation, to direct the situation? Will we be like Hagar, who after hearing what the angel of the Lord had to say, she went back and did exactly what what the angel said. Will we allow God to answer those areas that we're asking, that we have closed Him off on and thought that He doesn't see you? Saints, God is a God that sees. He sees us in our afflictions. He sees the marginalized. He sees every single person in this world. No one can hide from Him. We can't hide from Him. And His desire this morning is to meet us where we're at and to do a deep work in our hearts and to raise us up to that place to start seeing the way He sees. Amen. I want to pray for us this morning. Father, we just want to thank You so much for Your Word. We want to thank You that You're the God that sees. And I want to pray for every person who's been feeling invisible for quite some time, Father God, just feeling like they're on the fringes, feeling like they're unnoticed, feeling like they're unknown. 
Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you will reveal to them that you're the God that sees, that you'll show them, Father God, that you see them in their situation and that you want to meet with them, oh, Father God. In the name of Jesus, every person today that is doubting, that is even asking the question, if you see, why is this still continuing? If you saw, why was nothing done about it? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray this morning that you will enter into those areas, that you'll answer those questions, oh, Father God, and reveal yourself as the God who sees in our midst. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you for that. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week ahead. And please do not forget, we continue meeting every evening, 5.30 to 7 o'clock for prayer in the church hall as we're coming together to fast and pray together as a church. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.